0: Bill Ingram, Randy Sully, here for Hoops Talk. We're, 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 uh, we're going to revisit the, the Clyde Drexler trade to the Houston Rockets. We're going to give a little background to it and talk about, with the man himself, Bill Ingram, who remembers it all like it was yesterday, what was going on when Clyde the Clyde Drexler was traded from the Portland Trailblazers to the Houston Rockets and won the NBA championship back in 1995. And I'm not going to lie to you, for, for some of us, 1995 feels like yesterday. It was, it was over uh, 24 years ago. And that's pretty crazy to think. And for, well, for those who are just joining us now, uh, my name is Randy Zelia, and joining me is the man behind the microphone, the man behind the pen, the man behind the keyboard, and he is the legend himself, Mr. Bill Ingram. And, Bill, good afternoon.
1: Well, clearly that was one of the great Cinderella stories in the history. Oh, wait, that's Bill Walton, sorry. That was one of the great Cinderella <laughs> stories uh, when you talk about the book ending of Clyde and Akeem's careers where they go from playing college together, Phi Slam and Jamme, University of Houston, and then having to compete against each other for years, and then finally getting to back together and winning a championship. Uh, but ironically, now we teased this last week, it was not the first time that Clyde Drexler almost landed in Houston via trade with the Portland Trailblazers. I met with uh, longtime Rockets assistant coach, Rudy T's assistant coach, and then general manager of the Houston Rockets, Carol Dawson, right before he retired and we did kind of a career retrospective and um, he told me a story that has stuck with me ever since. It's a story that would have transformed the NBA for two decades in a way differently than it played out. So the Rockets had drafted Ralph Sampson the same year that the Blazers drafted Clyde Drexler. Then the following year, the Blazers had the number one pick in the draft, which they famously took Sam Bowie. Uh, and then the Rockets had the number, what was it, two? Two or three. It was Portland, Houston, it was Chicago. Number,
0: it was the number two. Yeah, the number, number, number two pick because they, they picked Bowie and then they had Jordan. The three.
1: Yeah. So the Rockets, the, the Blazers called the Rockets. They really wanted a center. Uh, and so – they offered Clyde Drexler and their number one pick in exchange for Houston's choice, Hakeem Olajuwon or Ralph Sampson. So imagine how the league plays out differently if the Rockets take that deal and they keep Hakeem and they get Clyde and then they draft Michael Jordan. And then no, if it you're it playing 2K, been... they go 82-0 and every year and win the championship. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well,
1: only in 2K, though. It. That stuff doesn't I, really work in real life.
0: No, That's true. Uh, and trust me, I tried. Um, you know, <laughs> I will tell you that before we get too deep into it, you can follow Bill and I both on BackSportsPage.com. And also you can follow Bill at TheRocketGuy on Twitter. I know I sh- you should be plugging your Twitter account, but I'm going to do it today. And you can follow me at RandyBSP. Uh, you can of course, go to AtBackSportsPage.com. On both Instagram and Twitter at backsportspage.com and on backsportspage on Facebook. Uh, and let's uh, let's set it up a little bit here. Clyde the Glide Director was drafted by the Portland Trailblazers in an era where teams were not going crazy as far as making moves, joining up uh, with, with other marquee players. You know, the Portland, yeah, not you know, at all. Portland Trailblazers yeah. were in, you know, just three years before or four years before. Was it? No, it was three years before. We're in the finals against the Chicago Bulls, led by Clyde the Glide And that's right. So we, we are coming off of that part. Rick Adelman was the coach. Terry Porter was the point guard. They had Kevin Duckworth. They had Buck Williams. It was a pretty Buck Williams, team Jerome at the Kersey, top.
1: Danny yeah. Ainge was on that team. Yep. Danny, Danny Young Danny was the backup point
0: guard. <laughs> yep. In fact, Six-man. In fact, I will tell you. I will tell you during the postseason that year, going into the NBA Finals, he was averaging 26.3 points per game, shooting 46% from from the field. I'll tell you, he was the guy. He was not what we like to call a three-point specialist. <laughs> he was.
1: Um, no, but he would hit him in big situations.
0: <laughs> yeah, he would hit big shots, but man, he was he was big, and he would you know 80. 80% free throw shooter had the opportunity remember two NBA finals appearances because he was also there in 1990 against the Detroit Pistons as well so Clyde was the guy for this team for a very very long time and he was I, you know I think once you know I sent you over some clippings and I'm going to give a little bit more background of let's just well, let's set the tone there drafted in 80 drafted in 84 and I'm I'm going to give you I'm going to give you some regular season stats if it's okay with you.
1: Sure. You know, nice. rookie
0: year, rookie year coming out, averaged uh, you know he averaged 17 points a game. His second year, averaged 39, 31 points a game. No, I'm sorry, that, that that I apologize, that is not 100% accurate. He was his rookie season, he averaged 7.7 points per game.
1: He didn't second start year, 17 as a rookie right off the bat.
0: Yeah. Right, he only started three games his his rookie season. His second year, he started 43 games, averaging 17 points a game. 18 points a game his third year, back in 86. 21 points in 87. 27 points per game in 88. 27 points in 89. 23 points per game and only playing 73 games back in 90, 91. 21.5 points a game, I played all 82. The 92 finals year, 25 points per game. The 1993 averaged about 19.9 points a game. And then the the 93-94 season, his last season in uh, Portland, played 68 games, only averaged 19 points. Keep in mind, during the 92-93 season, got hurt, only averaged 19 a game, only played 49 games. Mm -hmm. So the Blazers fan base was
1: largely saying that he was washed up, time to trade Clyde. And uh, I was living in that. I was going to college up there at the time in Blazer mania. The entire state of Oregon is Blazer crazy. Um, And the fan base turned on him, and they sort of blamed him for the team not winning the championship, even though he was by far, I mean, he was the best player in the Western Conference at that time.
0: Yeah. Well, and that's, let's also forget that the following year, the year before, the 93-94 Portland Trailblazers team knocked out in the, first, in, the, in the first round in four games. He averaged 21 points a game. But the culture had changed at 4.2. They, they, they had let go of Rick Edelman, Uh And also, yep. there, was loved. A, who he loved. And going into the 94-95 season, Going into that season, this is a year no, – no, I'm sorry. That was the, the year that he got traded. Before the season started, there was more rumors of being traded. I sent you this article uh, earlier in the day when I was doing some research. But the Miami Heat and the Portland Trailblazers were talking – now, this is this is going to be – you have to think back at that time frame when I tell you what this trade was. Yeah. So I'll read you the headline. <laughs> the Miami Jordan. Heat are, has has negotiated – a negotiated with the Portland Trailblazers over a trade that would bring All-Star and Dream Team guard Clyde Drexler to South Florida for a disgruntled guard Harold Miner, sources close to the potential deals. The trade, which has received mixed reaction in the Heat organization, mixed reaction of the Heat organization, (laughs) would give the Heat an All-Star on the downside of his career for a first-round pick who has expressed his desire to get away from the Miami Heat and Coach Kevin Lowry. Heat managing partner, partner Lewis Schaffel, said Monday night, we don't comment on trades. We asked that the deal was correct. Schaffel said no comment. Well, the deal would yeah. appear almost lopsided in favor of the heat, there are several factors that have the heat laying the virtues of the transaction. So, I think this is one of the first times you're sort of hearing this. Your reaction to that.
1: Well, it's not my first time hearing it. I remember when they were talking about Baby Jordan, and you got to remember Harold Miner was a player that some people thought were, was going to be a next Michael Jordan type player. And that, that never did pan out, obviously, because most people listening to this don't remember who he was. But at the time, it was like, well, it was still lopsided because Drexler was Drexler. But Portland was thinking, oh, if he does blow up, we'd like to have him, you know, put a team around this guy. Maybe he'll be our next star player. Um, but, hey, fortunately for Portland, that didn't work out. Not that they fared all that well uh, in the deal they ultimately made. They got Otis Thorpe, which Otis Thorpe was a very underrated uh, power forward, great rebounder. Dr. Duncan Stein, man, he'd, he'd run down the, the fast break and had these huge hands. He these incredible one-handed like windmill dunks and stuff on the fast break uh, and was great next to a I And mean, Obviously, they, they won a championship together very uh complimented Akeem very well. But he was a much better player for Portland than Harold Miner would have been.
0: I agreed. And now let's let's fast forward a little bit to the Portland side of things. So, uh well from Clyde's perspective, uh in his book Clyde the Glide, uh with Kerry Egans, uh when the topic Eggers, came up yeah. of long time Oregonian yeah, writer. Kerry Eggers, I apologize, Kerry, if you're listening, I'm so sorry. Uh, blame Bill. Um, <laughs> but I got your back, man. I got you. Yeah, Kerry's yeah. <laughs> Carrie, got your back. Shout out, to, shout out to Kerry for an awesome publication that he did. Uh, this book is still available through Amazon, uh, and you know, there's obviously different books, different copies of this all over the place. But this comment of why Clyde departed from the Portland Trailblazers has got some more clarity. I'm going to read a little excerpt here. Bill, get your reaction. I'll give my reaction. Um, this was between the summer of the 93-94 season and going into the 94-95 season. Uh, during the summer, a wave of changes swept over the coaching staff and the, front, and the front office. Rick Adelman was fired and after five and a half seasons as coach. P.J. Uh, Carlissimo replaced him, and Jeff uh, Petri resigned as the team's senior vice president. In his place came Bob Widzett, who is the title whose titles were now president and general manager, Wizzett had been in charge of the Seattle Superstars for the previous six seasons. I'm probably butchering his name, and I apologize for that. Um, No, you got him all right. Bob Witzett? Yeah, Bob Um, Yeah. Clyde then went on, I never would have let Rick go. We had a great relationship. It hurt me when he was fired. I mean, first you take away my center, Kevin Duckworth. Then you take away my coach. Then Petra was gone. And then also removed the team doctor, Bob Cook. I really enjoyed those people. I had some problems with that. I was extremely unhappy with those moves. Change is inevitable, but it was now clear that everything was going to be torn apart. I never talked to Winslet until training camp that, that fall. I wasn't sure what to think. Later, I found out for certain, he said, PJ was a nice, very nice guy. I liked him a lot. Nothing against him, but Rick was an all-star caliber coach. P.J. was coming straight out of college. He had an excellent staff. I had a great respect for Dick Carter. And Rick Kylar approves himself as a flying coach at Detroit and in Indiana. I enjoyed playing for P.J. He was not on the same level as Rick. It kind of set us back. Time was running out for this team to win a championship, and I felt it was the best interest for everyone to trade me and continue the rebuilding process. During camp, I went to Bob and told him I wanted, wanted to be traded. He said, Clyde, let's wait and see what we have, see how this team is playing. Let's give P.J. a chance. If you really want to be traded, play well so I can get you someone, some, someone good in return for you. I just wanted to get out at that point. My role on this team has changed. I was no longer the do-everything guy. I had fewer opportunities to do things. It was probably for the best. They weren't sure how healthy I was going to be. P.J. tried to work with me. He was trying to get Rod Strickland more of a chance to create and penetrate, trying to get Cliff Robinson a few more scoring opportunities, and trying to bring along some of the younger players. The team worked well together. We played hard. P.J. demanded that, and that's what I liked about We knew Winslet was brought in by Paul to be the hatchet man. Paul wasn't tricking anybody with the move. We We were going to be gone pretty soon. It was time for them to rebuild, and I needed a change of scenery. So,
1: Yep, and I remember all that like it was yesterday, man. I I got to tell you, the two players I followed avidly uh, as a kid when all this was happening were Akeem Olajuwon and Clyde Drexler. Uh, I remembered them playing in Houston, uh, and when Akeem was drafted by the Rockets, that was obviously a, a massive uh, deal. Plenty of fanfare in Houston, uh, and my grandmother was a, up in Oregon was a lifelong hard I mean diehard Blazers fan. So I followed the Blazers too, and uh, when all that went down, you know Bob Whitsett. People in Portland know him better as Trader Bob, because that's, he just was always trading off everybody, and uh, that was that was tough because Rick Adelman was a household name. He coached. Uh, he his coaching career started in Salem at Chemeketa Community College, where I also attended uh, after he was done there. And he was a, he was an Oregon guy, you know, like he was, he was the one of the heroes of the team as much as any of the players. So when Rick was gone and they started to dismantle the team and then more people, there was a lot of pressure on Clyde. Uh, and he really, I mean, you completely understand, like he's saying, look, I'm, I'm not being asked about these moves that are being made. And we're taking steps back in front office and coaching. Cause Jeff Petrie was fabulous too running that team. Uh, and But I'm expected to somehow pick up the slack from that, and that's not fair. So I'm happy to go somewhere else. And obviously, Houston, his hometown, he was beyond happy about that move.
0: And, and eventually, the Blazers would find the perfect landing spot for Drexler in Houston. It gave Drexler the chance to play with former college teammate, became Elijah on and compete for the championship with the defending champion, Houston Rockets. At the time of the trade, Drexler had been played 41 games up to that point, averaging 22 points a game, 5.7 rebounds, 5.1 assists, and about almost two steals a game in about 34 minutes on the floor. Uh, He did not go alone. He brought Tracy Murray with him. Tracy is a very good fan of the show, which, by the way, Tracy told me he listened to our show from last week, Bill. I just wanted to let you know. Uh, Tracy was averaging about six points a game, almost uh, two boards a game in about 29 games of action, averaging about 10 minutes. and Portland was 25-20 and 20 at the time. And Houston was struggling at that point. They said had that championship hangover going on around that point. Well, the Akeem was injured.
1: And- yeah, they were they were having injury issues. Akeem was out. By the way, since Tracy's going to listen, hey, man, Tracy Murray was a huge fan favorite in Portland. His three-point shooting, uh, Rockets fans will think of Matt Bullard and Pete Chilcutt and Mario Ellie and guys like that. But uh, Tracy Murray is one of those guys for Portland that that helped facing with his uh, marksmanship. But um, yeah, no. So uh, Akeem was, was struggling with injuries that season when they got Clyde. In fact, they played, I believe a stretch of around 10 games without Akeem. And it was right down the stretch with playoff position on the line. And Clyde averaged 27.2, 27.4 points per game over that stretch and essentially carried them into the playoffs. And then Akeem got healthy, of course, and they, they won it all, but Clyde was an incredibly important part of that Houston team after the trade.
0: Yeah, it was it was absolutely essential because that team did not end up as a number one seed in the uh, in, in the playoffs. You no, know, that team no you know, they, they picked up they picked up. Uh, you know, obviously Drexler came there. The Rockets struggled the second half of the season, posting a 17-18 record on their way to finishing third in the Midwest division with a 47-35 record overall. Um, Akeem Olajuwon was selected to the 95 All-Star game. This is courtesy of Wikipedia, by the way, so take it for what it's worth. The Rockets <laughs> were a sixth seed going into the playoffs, playing the third seed, Utah Jazz. The Jazz actually took a 2-1 series lead. You remember this all too well. Uh, but the Rockets went to win Punch the City, series in five games. Yeah. And then, of course, game one of that Phoenix Sun series, I think after the Kevin Johnson dunk, it was over for <laughs> it was over for Phoenix,
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah,
0: hey, I'll tell you something
1: that just occurred to me that my memory just this just popped up randomly um when it, when Clyde was traded in Portland in Oregon, the feeling was, yeah, he's washed up, he's done. We'd rather have somebody else, and he was. Just getting a lot of negative publicity, like good riddance kind of thing. Then, when they won the championship, I had uh, my family in Houston. This Now, this is before the Internet. You couldn't go on Amazon and order your Rockets championship T-shirt. You had to have somebody go into Academy or one of the street side vendors and get shirts for you. And so I had shirts and a hat sent to me. And then I'm walking around, and the same people who were talking about good riddance to Clyde were like, hey, where'd you get your shirt, man? I need a Clyde Drexler championship. I'm like, uh-huh, nope, sorry. I'm not even going to ask somebody <laughs> to send me one for you because a, a month ago, you were just sure Clyde was washed up, and look what he just did.
0: Yeah, well, it's funny, too, because you remember, he, I think he looked at this opportunity, too, and I'm going to look for, I was trying to find his quotes about when he was shaved, but when he first climbed over Houston, he was just not... Responses to the media whatsoever. He pretty much shut it, shut himself down because he knew what they wanted. He wanted something yep. negative against Portland. He wanted, and he yep. was too smart to do it. He was way too, too smart classy. to do it. So he there was just nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And, Clyde and doesn't it's not bad like mouth, today where you know. Yeah, Clyde. Clyde it's not like it's um t- where today where social media you can put your put your voice out there. You. If you're not getting there's there's only a certain amount of media that was there, and if they're not getting you, they're, they're not talking, and that's just the way yeah. it was at that point in time. Yeah. So, so let's so let's break this down a little bit here. Uh, his his stats when going over to Houston. The rest the rest of the way, had been very 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 um, very balanced. Because I guess maybe because Elijah Wan was out for quite a few games towards during that run. But tell me if these yeah. numbers sound a little bit a little bit accurate for you. So he played twenty two games in Houston when he first got there, averaged twenty point five points a game. He averaged about seven rebounds a game. Because remember at that point too, you traded out of the store for your second big man who is opposite of yep, Elijah. He needed rebound losing rebounding. Mm-hmm. And he you also averaged about five assists a game. So you, do you think the 22 the twenty-two games that he had, averaging 20 points, seven boards, and five assists, and a very key stat here, uh, two steals a game?
1: Uh, yeah, well, Clyde, Clyde the play- was the do-it-all player. He really was. And the fact that he's – I wish – and I'm sure there's a split somewhere where you could see, okay, Akeem was out these games, and during those games – because Clyde – averaged twenty seven over a stretch of games where Akeem was out, very important games. But then when Akeem comes back, he knows he's not the guy, you know, like he's he's there to be Robin. He's been Batman. And he's there to be Robin, though he can play either role. And that's what you see with his assists, his rebounding. You know, they told him, look, we just traded our starting power forward. So we need you to do some rebounding and Clyde was a very good rebounder. Uh, and a very good distributor and, and a hard-nosed defender and all of those things. And, of course, we're talking about a time when the NBA was, I mean, if you didn't play defense, you weren't going anywhere, and the Rockets were an elite defensive team. So he came in playing that defense as well. It's why he fit so well with the Rockets. He was willing to do anything and everything.
0: Yeah, and I think that's you know that's the key is he was able to do anything and just fit in. Uh, and I think when you get, unlike guys like Dwight Howard today or, you know, Carmelo Anthony and some other different players in the league, it's hard for them just to sort of fit in. They don't, they don't want to sacrifice theirs because now it's about branding. Now it's about, I don't, I don't want to lose, you know, I don't want to say street cred or I don't want to lose any, anything else like that.
1: Market appeal is they don't, really what it is.
0: Yeah, marketing appeal. You no, know, Clyde was a Clyde was a silent superstar. And I think that's and I think that's who something. A Akeem, about. Akeem yeah. was the same way. He
1: went out and worked hard and didn't you didn't see his name in headlines. Part of it was his very thick accent, people, you know. <laughs> but at the same time. <laughs> people don't understand he wasn't what saying anyway. that, Yeah. But uh he wasn't the kind of guy that needed he did he never trash talked anybody. Uh, the one time he trash talked, and this is in his book, Living the Dream, um, was in the playoffs uh, the previous year, the year w- when they went to the finals with Otis Thorpe, and uh, they were playing the Jazz, as they always seem to do in the playoffs. And Carl Malone was flopping all. You know, I've never seen a guy 275 pounds fall as many times. as I mean, Carl Malone had the flop. He and Stockton, Stockton, of course, he would pull a defender down, He'd grab a defender by the trunks, and pull him pull him down on top of him and get a charge call when he was the one that initiated the contact. Uh, it, made, it made it irritating to watch the Jazz, if you weren't a Jazz fan, I guess. But there was a play where on back-to-back plays, uh, Karl Malone flopped. Otis Fort picked up two fouls right at the, in the early part of the first quarter. And Akeem, the next time down, called for the ball against Karl Malone and absolutely
0: flattened
1: him. With I mean, just plowed into him in the paint and Malone's on the ground and and Akeem got down in his face and said, that's a foul. Stop cheating. And then the Rockets dominated the rest of the series, you know, but other than that, Akeem was not somebody who needed to say things to the media. He just wanted to go out and play harder than everybody else and be better and block every shot, still the all time NBA shot block leader, and then go home. And there was no, no BS, you know,
0: My question to you is, I, obviously we're putting the focus on that championship year. Did you feel during mm-hmm. the finals against the Orlando Magic that maybe this team was just not – what's the word I'm looking at? It didn't seem like they were going to match up well against the Orlando Magic. Did you feel that, or did you I... feel that there was just so much experience on that team and there was so much inexperience on the Orlando team between Shaq, Penny, and the rest of that squad and it wasn't going to be that big of a drop-off.
1: There were two factors for me. One, at that time, I was a total homer. Nothing existed except for the Houston Rockets. And two, the reunion of Olajuwon and Drexler brought such a different level of energy to the team, a different level of confidence. I just felt like they were de- it was destiny. I really felt like that team was going to go all the way. They were going to win it because... Uh, Clyde and Akeem had that wanted to prove that together. you know The other thing was I knew uh, Shaq was raw, and uh, you know even when he was better, even when he started getting into his prime, and Akeem was at the end of his prime, Akeem still had him because of the footwork and the quickness and uh, so I felt like that was going to be something where Shaq was backing people down into the paint and then knocking them over and stepping on them and dunking, and the rest were allowing him to do that. But you weren't going to do that with Akeem because Akeem wasn't going to allow you to sit on his leg. Like that, the way that you back someone down, Akeem just, you couldn't do that with Akeem because he would spin, he would move, he would come around. You would try to put your body on him, and he would reach around, tip the ball away, and he's dribbling off down to the other end of the floor. So I knew there were several distinct advantages where power versus finesse, the finesse was going to win, and then we'd seen Akeem do it for years. And then, as you said, that was a very raw Orlando team. It was Anthony Hardaway. It was Dennis Scott. Um, They relied very heavily on three-point shooting and not as much on defense. And three-point shooting is something that often goes away uh, when the game matters most. We saw that with John Starks the year before. He shot the Knicks right out of the finals. (laughs) Um, Even though you might be a great shooter during the season, as the games start to matter more, sometimes with the lack of experience, that goes away. And that was another way to rock a tennis fan.
0: Do you think that Houston team was one of the few teams that, you know, we, we talked about on how the super team sort of took over the NBA over the last few years. But that was the first sure. time we saw a team – go so a little hybrid there and more went with the guard and the smaller forward system. There was times you had Robert Ory at that time who was a solid three playing the fourth yeah. position.
1: He played four a lot. And he and Akeem together, I mean, you didn't, you just couldn't go to the rim because they were both outstanding shot blockers. So yeah, that that yeah, was the was... thing. The hybrid, the hybrid situation was created because you traded your starting power forward for a starting shooting guard, and then Vernon Maxwell pouted and disappeared. And so you're down – really down two starters. Uh, and or- But, hey, Ori stepped in brilliantly uh, in that situation. That yeah, was the beginning it's, of it's the it's big true. shot Bob uh, era in the NBA. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and, and he was – but then, you know, the, the Rockets –
1: they, they tried to – I mean, they addressed it the next year when they went and got uh, Charles Barkley, a move I hated at the time. I never cared for Charles Barkley's game, and I did, certainly didn't care for his mouth. And so when he came to the Rockets, it was like, oh, man, a player I just really don't like is on a team that I really love. That
0: was hard to You know, it's funny, it's funny you say that because I went the opposite with the Nets. You had a guy like Stephon Marbury who I just didn't like after watching him play for the, the amount of time that I did, you just knew Stephan, you know, Stephon Martin was just not a guy who can lead a team. He's a, he's a good second, third piece at that point in time. that had no leadership mm-hmm. abilities whatsoever, and they traded him for Jason Kidd, who's Mr. Team, who's all about, the, yeah. you know, I'm going to make everybody else around me better. And so when all of a sudden, while they're going, when the Nets are going, now you're starting to see the Keith Van Horn you saw during his rookie year being able to drop 30 points in a game. Now you're starting to see yeah. what Kenyon Martin's strengths are, what Kerry Kittles is able to do as a contributor, what you have in a guy, in mm-hmm. Todd McCullough, who was a serviceable center at that point in time. Lucian right. Harris coming off the bench, being able to put 15 points in if, if needed. You had So you knew what you had. And, of course, Richard Jefferson, who became – I think Richard Jefferson was one of those guys where if you look at his basement on I mean, all of his retired jerseys, I think there might have been only yeah. seven or eight teams in the league he doesn't have <laughs> one for, because that's he right. was everywhere. I, I, I think the only team expected, he, was, he didn't play for was the.
1: He was one of those guys yeah, that everybody wanted, because he would do everything. He defended well. He he could score if you needed him to score. If you if he wasn't getting the ball a lot, he played just as hard on the defensive end. Uh, you know that that's one of those guys that. It's like a Shane Battier, you know, Shane Battier. Yeah. yeah. You want him to shoot? He'll drop some threes, but whether he's getting the ball or not, he's going to be one of the best damn players on the floor, <laughs> you know, on both ends of the floor, uh, high basketball IQ, um, just all around everything you want from a, from a non-star type player. Every team needs one of those guys. Uh, Buck Williams was that for the Portland trailblazers. You mentioned Robert Ory was that for, uh, for Houston. Um, you know, these guys that are – Bruce Bowen was that for the Spurs for so long. The guy – Dennis Rodman, you know, for the Bulls. I don't care if I get the ball in of the basket, I'm pushing it out to Michael. You know, like you've got guys that will come in and, and just play so hard that they can be great on pretty much
0: any team. Yeah, and that's and that's the thing. And if you remember, I think it was the, night, the, six, the 2016 finals, when the Cleveland went down 0-2 Richard Jefferson you saw him on the floor constantly going to the basket and we all kept on saying what a concept if you go to the basket you're going you're gonna to score points you're, <laughs> because against, especially against the Warriors at that point in time you're just not going to you know you, as long as you keep cutting to the basket and moving without the basketball and now it's something that was, Richard was able to do very 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 well Um, Going back to this Houston Rocket Going back to this Houston Rocket team A very interesting lineup that they had Kenny Smith, Sam Cassell Clyde Drexler, Vernon Maxwell Who went MIA after Drexler got there Um, Matt Bullard Now Tracy Murray My question during that Finals time was where was their rebounding And their defense really going to come from And that's something That to me which, when they went against Orlando, I thought Orlando basically, Orlando basically was very, very balanced at that point in time between Nick Anderson, Dennis Scott, Penny Hardaway, Shaquille O'Neal, Horace Grant. You had some good guys coming off the bench at that time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, it was just a very interesting type of lineup that Orlando was was having at that point, and then it disappeared. You know, you you would just think because there was a little bit more balance, but I guess that's one of those things where you just have to ride the hot wave and Houston had the hot wave at that point.
1: Everything. Momentum is everything in the playoffs. Uh, and remember, the Rockets were not really healthy. They limped into the playoffs, the sixth seed. Um, they really – they hadn't had the team together because uh, Hakeem was hurt. A bunch of injuries happened. And then they got healthy at the right time. They got Clyde at the right time. Everything clicked, and that, you know, I think people don't realize. Um, so now, the great teams, you know, San Antonio, Golden State, Chicago, the great teams that are there every year, in the discussion every year, um, that's one thing. But then you have other teams. The Hey, Rick Adelman, Sacramento Kings is a perfect example. You have teams where there's a brief window where everything has to click just the right way for you to win. And if things – your one injury, one bounce of the ball off of someone's hand, one foul call, one situation, one chance situation can be the difference between a team being a champion and a team never winning it or, you know, not winning for a long time. Uh, And that, you know, the chemistry that the Rockets built with the trade, everybody getting healthy, the energy – that came from the reunion. This was a huge deal. The reunion of Akeem and Clyde was a huge, probably the biggest moment in Houston sports. Bigger than Nolan Ryan, no hitters, Mike Scott, no hitters. Bigger than you know Jeff Bagwell, home runs, and the World Series even for the Astros. That reunion of Akeem and Clyde was a massive moment for the Rockets. And that is the momentum. And that is the energy that they rode into the playoffs. And that's what carried them to the championship that
0: year. I guess my last, my last one or two questions before we're out of time here, um, I I guess the real question also looking back at Drexler's legacy for this season, because I think, I think, you know, what's the expression? Every championship has a, Every, every championship has a story. Every story has a journey. Type of phrasing. Yeah. For Drexler, is it, va- is it validation? Because you were around there when this all happened. And you yeah. were a diehard fan of that team when it happened. Your opinion, did this validate his greatness? Or is it more of like the this was the great, you know, he only played two more seasons, two or three, three, more, two or three more seasons after this happened? Was this his validation, or was this the, the icing on the cake of a great career? I
1: think, I think a little of each. I mean, people who watched the Blazers for all those years knew that Clyde was, I mean, if it wasn't for Michael Jordan, Clyde had a championship in Portland, They're kind of like Dominique Wilkins in Atlanta, you know. Um, it's just that the Blazers didn't quite get there. Uh, but Clyde well, said that was against, an uh, incredible – he was – yeah, no, I know, exactly. They're, they didn't get Michael both years, but the Pistons were incredible. I mean, you know, the fact that they didn't win the championship, they got to the finals twice. Clyde Drexler was the best player in the Western Conference and the second-best shooting guard in the NBA for years. So when he got to Houston, he got his title, and that was great. But he didn't – I don't know that he needed validation I do think the validation comes in the fact that Portland acted like he was done, he's washed up, we got to trade this guy, and then he showed them how washed up he was. That's the validation. Not career validation, but validation in the eyes of Blazers fans who had turned on him. And he showed them that it was not his fault the Blazers were going down. He can still help a team win a championship and be a critical part of it. Unfortunately, yeah the following year, getting Barkley cost Hakeem. It cost Clyde because Barkley was not a player. He didn't come in with Clyde's mentality of what can I do to help this team win, keep winning. Barkley came in with the attitude that it's his team and everybody else needs to cater to him.
0: And that was ultimately what
1: drove Drexler to retire.
0: And I guess also has to ask the question that goes with it, too, is was bringing in Scottie Pippen and to have the four of them together the final straw for Clyde?
1: No, the final straw for Clyde was Church Street Station. Uh, Orlando fans and and Rocket fans will remember this. Charles Barkley threw a patron. He was in the bar down there in Church Street Station, downtown Orlando. He threw a bar, threw a patron through a plate glass window at a bar. Right. Clyde was in charge of of Barkley on the road. When they were on the road somewhere, he was supposed to stay with Charles and keep him out of trouble. Now Clyde had told Charles, "It's time to go back to the hotel. I'm tired. Let's go." Barkley said, "You go ahead. I'm going to stay here." Now five minutes after Clyde left was when Barkley got into that fight with the bar patron, threw him through the window, blah blah blah. And Clyde was like, "I'm done babysitting. I just this is stupid." I'm babysitting a grown man, and that's <laughs> not what I want to do. I'd rather retire. But Pippen was awful. I mean, Pippen in Houston was a terrible. If I'd ever had any use for him as a player, I lost any respect I had for him for the way he behaved and the way he played in Houston. Portland, by the way, too, They sh- he shot them single-handedly out of a return trip to the finals uh, against the Lakers one game. So Pippen is not very high on my list of (laughs) great players that I remember in Houston.
0: If I ask you the legacy of Clyde Drexler as a member of the Houston Rockets, what is it?
1: It's a championship. It's Slamma Jamma uh, gone pro. It's a story of two best friends who competed against each other for years and then won it all together. It's a Cinderella story. It's the story that you always want to see, a feel-good story of a guy who was so good for so long, couldn't quite win a championship, comes home in front of his hometown crowd with his best friend and wins a championship uh, for his city, for himself, uh, and it's his only ring. I mean, that, that right there, the fact that Clyde Drexler came to a team that had just won a championship, recognized what they needed from him, and he he gave it to them. That's a rare ability for a player to be able to do that.
0: Does it hurt him that it wasn't his team, that he was not the number one guy?
1: Not to me, um, because, again, let's say Dominique Wilkins had left – Atlanta and gone to Utah and won a championship with Stockton and Malone. Does that diminish Dominique at all? I don't I don't think so at all. I think it again it shows Clyde was the guy. The only way it the only way the championship does anything to the rest of his career by him not being the guy is if you didn't watch him as the guy for years in Portland as an elite you know, first ballot Hall of Famer, gold medal winning. His his resume is just fine. Uh, I just think it it's, as you said earlier, the icing on the cake. He got a championship. He was a huge part of that championship. He didn't. He wasn't the sixth or seventh guy. He wasn't the old guy. You know, playing the leadership role. He was a leader on that team. He's a, as big a part of the reason for that championship as team was. And that to me says an awful lot about him and, and no, I think three trips to the finals, there are a lot of players that are, are amazing Hall of Fame players that don't get to the finals you know
0: Bill, Bill, well, Bill I gotta tell you this this was an education <laughs> I think the first time you know, we're, we're still working out the kinks on how we're doing this but I think this was a good start what do you think?
1: I love it. Hey, man, there are a lot of players that have kind of been forgotten in the, some of the younger fans of the league today that are caught up in how great, you know, LeBron is the greatest player of all time. No, he's really not. There are a lot of amazing players that, that don't come to mind for modern fans of the NBA, and that's what makes sports so great is the history, whether all sports, baseball, basketball, football, no matter what sport you're watching. The people who made the league what it is today matter. And Clyde is one of those people.
0: Well, Bill, we're going to keep everybody out of suspense for next week, what we're going to do. Um, So you and I will discuss the topic during the week. We'll get the research out a little bit bit more. We'll expand out uh, whatever the next topic is going to be. But this was a lot of fun. Uh, This this will probably post uh, sometime on Friday morning. So, Bill, I want to thank you. Let everybody know where they can find you on social media.
1: Absolutely. Uh, And, hey, if you've got a question or a topic you'd like to hear us discuss, just shoot it to me. I'm at TheRocketGuy on Twitter. You can find uh, my writing, BackSportsPage.com. But uh, but hit me up on Twitter, send me a message, uh, and chances are if you ask about something, we'll talk about it because – we just uh, we love to know what fans want to hear, and we love talking about it, obviously. So, and yeah. thank you, Randy, for uh, for being a great co-host here.
0: Thank you, I appreciate it. And uh, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna keep making this, uh, we're gonna keep growing this and making this good. Eventually, we're gonna start setting up a fan poll. We're let, we're gonna let the fans vote on what the topic's gonna be. For the first couple of shows, we're gonna have to We're gonna force feed them the first couple of shows. We're gonna have to let them know that they like <laughs> it first. <laughs> so all right, right. Bill, guys follow me on twitter at randy at back sports page we'll see you guys next week same bad time same bad channel thanks for tuning in